welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Prince. Together, we will explore how the Enneagram typology system applies to leadership. We interview leaders that share their Enneagram journey and how it's impacted the way they lead in their organizations, in their communities, and in their personal lives. Today, my guest is Tom West. He is the co-founder of the Green Dot Consulting Group. He is a master black belt and change agent, and he is also the host of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Hey, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rachel. Glad to be here with you today. Yeah. So I would love to hear about how you got exposed to the Enneagram. Just tell me a little more about your journey. So I've been exposed to a handful of typing tools throughout my you know, MBA education, even during undergrad, did a handful of those. And then when I joined the workforce, the one that a lot of people focused on were DISC and Strength Finders. So I was working in healthcare and I went through and I did those typings. And every time I, I did them, I felt like they were pretty accurate, but almost all of them kind of focused on me as a professional and you know that was that was great because I was in a career where that was important because I was in leadership and working in healthcare and you know needed to have that high emotional intelligence to be effective in in my work. But it, I don't feel like it really helped me understand who I was as an individual and didn't help me place what my values were. And and those things kind of laid dormant until I left the workforce and I embarked on a journey to start my own business. And a lot of the work that I should have been doing on myself along the way caught up to me and caused me to have a lot of anxiety because of the uncertainty of starting a new business. And one of the resources that I relied on pretty heavily during that transition was uh, hiring a, a, a coach, uh, a Sherpa per, per se. And, um, you know, I'll tell everyone that that was you. You came at a pivotal point in my life and I'm grateful for the coaching you gave me. But um, the tool, the Enneagram, was one of those things that we used as a centerpiece in our conversation as I tried to learn who I was and what I valued as I started my own business and wanted to create that business in the image of who I was as a person. So it was an ex- it was a stressful time and it was an exciting time at the same time. And um, I'm thankful that you know this tool came to me when it did because I don't know if I would have valued it as much as I did when I was in an organization. I think in some ways, like you act and behave according to the culture and less according to who you really are. And then when you start your own business, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this my way. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know too much about me. And the Enneagram really helped shine light on a handful of things that um, were strengths and a handful of things that I had to work on personally. And uh, it's just a very powerful tool because of that. Yeah, I think you you brought up a good point of the readiness factor. I think there is a certain level of readiness that has to exist in order to really dive into this tool because it's such a deeply reflective personal tool. So um, yeah, I I think gauging that uh, even in organizations to make sure that teams are ready for, for this kind of work, I think is an important thing to do. So... Just share uh, with the listeners which type you lead with, which Enneagram number is yours. So my Enneagram type is a nine. And I have a, an eight wing 
Um, and then for those who know the diagram, have seen that uh, the nine sits at the crown. Uh, and then from there, they have a kind of a stress response and an integration response. So when I, I'm integrating, I move towards the three. And when I'm in stress, I move towards the six, which, you know, if you haven't done the Enneagram before, that probably is all gibberish. Uh, but those are really important things to understand as part of this tool is what's your wing and what's your stress and what's your healthy response and your integrated response. And it just allows you to be better in tuned to your, your emotions and your feelings or even what your body is telling you. So this, this whole diagram, there's a lot that goes on with it and you got to spend a lot of time um, looking at it and answering hard questions of, yeah, that that's pretty accurate. I do that. Or, Oh no, you know, that's not accurate. Um, it probably is. You know, the more you look at it, the more you realize the things that the stories you've told yourself that were untrue, and the uh, the more truths that you allow yourself to accept. And there's tremendous growth in that. Yeah, you can feel a little gut punched around on this journey, you know, as you're reading things. That, oh my gosh, I do that, and I didn't really want to admit that to myself. So I think that's a huge piece of growth is to just, you know, understanding that we do some things that are are negative. How do we learn and grow through those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the really interesting things that I have clients do that are struggling with their type or struggling with some of the verbiage, you know, I don't think I do that. They'll ask somebody that's been in their life for a long period of time. Um, so for example, I asked my sister, so she's known me my whole life, lived together up until I got married. And so mm-hmm. I asked her about a few things. And she said, Oh, absolutely. You do those. I asked my husband who I've only known for 10 years. And he said, Oh, no, I don't really see that in you. So I've grown through some of those things that my sister was seeing that he wasn't seeing. Uh, but I think that's that's one of the powerful things about the Enneagram. So, um, And just to share with the listeners, if you don't already know, um, I am a 9 as well. So Tom and I get along just great. <laughs> um, yes. one, of, one of these struggles for the 9 and one of our core desires is to have peace. So we really just want to create peaceful environments. We we do tend to avoid conflict or feeling uncomfortable until we learn to grow through that. And so would you share mm-hmm. some of that, especially even in starting your own business or in leadership? How, how do you see that part of being a nine um, as challenging and how have you overcome that? Yeah. So that, that comment you made about uh, talking to individuals about it, um, that is not natural for a nine either mm-hmm. is to, to talk about emotions or to seek feedback because, you know, sometimes that feedback is going to open up a can of worms to which the nine really doesn't want to deal with those emotions. So they tend to be asleep to their own emotions uh, in order to maintain peace, either internally or externally. You know, the emotional response that they have is relatively mute. Um, so, you know, when I embarked on this journey with you, you'd encouraged me to talk about this with those closest to me. In fact, a lot of the coaching calls you and I had together were on speakerphone while, you know, hanging out with my wife, running errands, dropping our twins off to school or whatnot. So as you and I like aired the laundry together, my wife was sitting right there listening, shaking her head, like nodding in agreement and, and whatnot. So, you know, I think that's another piece is as you answer these questions, working with the coach, try to include that person 
that you love and or has been with you a large part of your journey in that conversation too. And I think that helped me work through a lot of things quickly because I wasn't like saying it to you and then trying to regurgitate it to my wife. It was happening concurrently. So I think, you know, I got your feedback and her feedback. And I think it helped me uncover a lot of my blind spots pretty quickly. Funny thing is, is uh, in a lot of the things I was saying in a response, my wife was resonating with those things too. And she um, hasn't gone and done the full-blown journey herself, but she's typed close to a nine also. So that was a lot of the things she was like, I think that way also. So it was kind of interesting in that it piqued her interest to want to embark on this journey too. So as you reach out and you seek feedback, you know, you have the opportunity to grow a little bit. You can help that that person who's giving you that feedback to grow also. And I thought that was like the circle, you know, playing all the way out and, you know, getting value for myself, but also getting her to the point where she was curious about how she thought and the things that maybe in her upbringing that formed her habits or behaviors that she needed to unpack. So it was a lot of fun because of that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it sounds like the part of the uncomfortableness, you're just growing through hitting it head on, right? So like hitting the hard things, having some of these conversations, um, and you're growing through being able to have some healthy conflict with with your spouse. So I think that's great. Yes, a, a lot of healthy conflict. So, uh, you know, my profession was leading teams through change and transformation. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that conflict was a necessary part of change and growth. Um, But you had to use it in a way where it was productive and creative. So when it came time for me to endure my own uncomfort and getting outside of my comfort zone, um, you know, I had the tools that I was taught as a change agent and I had the experience of leading people through change. So I didn't go into it completely. tools I needed. I had to work and focus very intentionally on the toolbox that I had and some of the things I added other than you know those change management tools or that project management and leadership tools were reading a lot and practicing mindfulness, uh, meditating and um, you know just you know spending time with myself with with nothing that that's the other part of nines is that when when they're idle you know they feel kind of uncomfortable they like to keep themselves busy and and whatnot so i had to kind of allow myself to to develop these tools to manage this conflict and it was really more learning to stand still and be present in the conflict instead of trying to hurry through it or busy myself or distract my mind from it. So it was mostly those tools that helped me be successful and the support of others because you know I had anxiety once I made this decision to transition. About three days later, I was in the emergency room having a panic attack. And at this point, I was you know 36 years old. I'd never really experienced anxiety before and I had convinced myself that you know it was a non-issue because in October not too much earlier I completed two Ironman races just 14 days apart 
And that's a grueling day. Like part of the reason you can finish is because you've got yourself in a position where you can think through the suffering and just stay committed to taking the next step. So I was like, I'm a a physical badass and a mental badass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. is, Is the lies I told myself. Yeah. And then I, you know, step out and try to create something for myself. And I, I had a lot of fear and there was a lot of uncertainty and I had to accept that I wasn't as mentally strong as I thought I was. And I needed to do really intentional work to get better and not to rush past it, but to really sit with the discomfort and try to find the learning whenever the anxiety was happening and to tweak out what that fear was and to ask myself, is this a valid fear or is this a story that you've made up and told yourself your whole life that now you're debunking and because you're unwriting that, your body is fighting you because it's where you were always comfortable and now you've put it out in the light and it's at risk. And what it's really trying to protect you. You know, like most of these stories have been created in your head as a safety net. Um, but when you go through a change like this, those things become a, a key focus. And you have to say, like, this has helped me get to where I am today, but is it going to help me get any further than I am right now? And you have to make decisions of, are you going to overcome that fear? Are you going to rewrite that story? Are you going to take that next step? Or are you going to let this beat you? And when I'm meditating or practicing mindfulness, or if I'm journaling, those are the things I tweak out and really assess and make decisions about. And that's been an intentional practice ever since I started this Enneagram journey. That's great. I love that. So one of the things about nines in particular is that we do such a good job of avoiding anything uncomfortable that when things get uncomfortable, or you mentioned the anxiety, that's what we look like in stress. We get anxious, we get more worried, and we don't know what to do with it because we escaped it for so long. I think one of the things I've seen um, with some of the... I call it street Enneagram. uh, Some of the street Enneagram talk is we say there are certain numbers that are better leaders. And all of the numbers can be effective leaders when they're healthy and self-aware. That is Mm -hmm. the key piece. So... When people see a nine, oh my gosh, they don't like conflict. They can't possibly be a leader. No, both you and I have learned to grow through that default that we have. And I think that's a really important piece. So I don't care which number you are on the Enneagram. If you are healthy in the levels of development and you are self-aware, you're, you're going to be effective. So you may bring different skill sets as a leader than maybe other types. Uh, but that's what it's all about. It's all about the you know, diversity and surrounding yourself with teams that can fill in your gaps. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I love that. And th- I, talking about leadership, so a lot of the journey was me as a business owner and dealing with the anxieties of that. And it's, you know, in the book um, that Brené Brown has written, uh, Dare to Lead, I think. I've read so many of them that I yeah. they, it's almost like a crossword puzzle now. <laughs> um, but, but she has a saying of you have the reckoning you have the rumble and then the rise. And then I think just one step beyond that, you actually have this opportunity for a rebirth. It's, you know, not only do you rise from that single, that, that event, that one situation where you've had this new learning about yourself, but you can take that learning and change that direction in your life. 
and show up in very different ways. And, and the more you do that, you become a different person. So I've become a different, you know, uh, household member here, um, you know, spouse and father, community member, business owner, and leader. So a lot of the roles that I play, I had the opportunity to choose how I wanted to show up in those roles because of this tool. And in regards to leadership, um, it's been pretty interesting that I've had to realize that I allowed myself to sit in the background a lot in my career and that I was not the person who wanted to be in charge. Um, I didn't want to be the, the celebrity, for lack of a better word, on any decision or activity or event or success. Like I just wanted to be part of it, but not in front of it. And as a business owner and as a leader, that was a big change for me to realize that I needed to step into my own ideas and see that they had merit and that they had value and that they were worth acting on. And if if I didn't act on or see value in my own ideas, no one else was. So as a leader, that was the confidence I had to develop to move forward and as I stepped into that light, the way that I, I did it wasn't in a way of like, you know, arrogance or look what I've done or look at the things I've realized about myself and look at how good my ideas are. It was more, I struggled to accept my own ideas. I struggled to accept who I was and how I motivated myself. And, you know, that resonated with a lot of teams and organizations I were working with because when I would stand in front of the room, I would practice humility and I would tell them that I'm an introvert. I don't like public speaking. Um, You know, I'm still learning a lot of things. I'm terribly uncomfortable in some situations, but I'm here to figure it out and be out of my comfort zone. And if I can do it, you can too. So just kind of sharing my my struggles as a human in order to become a, a better leader and a business owner I think that resonated with people when I would stand and I would just tell them the truth that like I have anxiety when I fly. The trip to come see you guys was a very long four hour flight. I had anxiety the whole time and I didn't sleep well last night, but I'm here this morning because I believe in the work that we have to do together. And I think people realize that like I was human and I think it allowed them to be a little human themselves that day. Yeah. So I think. I've started to just allow myself to be human in my leadership role. And it's been well received with my project teams and the organizations I work with. Yeah, I think people are starving for people to bring their real selves to work and to share these things. Some of the traditional leaders um, are often eights or threes and they struggle with being vulnerable. They're they're not going to show that. And when you open that... Mm -hmm window. They, they don't show it naturally anyway. When you open that window and yep. they feel like they can trust you and they can also be vulnerable. Wow. I mean, what a safe space. What a space of psychological safety that is really needed in organizations today. I love that you brought up that that element of eight. So with the kickoff, you know, when we were talking about our types, I told you I was a wing eight. So in the eight, the tendency is to challenge and um, somewhat dispute or debate. And I realize in some ways that as I do those things, it's challenging people in a way to allow themselves to take those same risks. Like 
it's because I'm doing it in a way that's a healthy eight. I'm not challenging just to create, you know, chaos. I'm challenging to inspire people to take risk and that, it, that if I can do it, they can do it kind of thing. So I think having that eight wing has also helped me embrace this, that I, I've got a platform and I can talk to people in a way that they've probably never been talked to before and give them permission to be who they authentically are in the room while we're working together on a project. And hopefully that environment I created for that team on that day plants a seed that then spawns and creates environments just like that in other team interactions. And the more and more that that grows and spreads, hopefully the organization benefits by having that increased level of psychological safety and improved communication and stronger relationships, more authentic connection to who they are as individuals. So, you know, that's somewhat of a flywheel and it may take a while to happen, but I've realized now that in some ways that's part of the consulting services I give is that little kick in the pants to say, trust who you are and trust everyone around you and good things can happen as a result. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. I think you're changing uh, the world one team at a time. <laughs> um, I so I commend you for that work. I think it's, I think that's great. So and right in line with with also what I do. So so you are you are speaking to me for sure. So yeah. um, so when before we jumped on here, you had a really unique idea or um, a creative way of using the enneagram in business and how you could look at the company's culture through the lens of the Enneagram. So could you share that very creative idea that I love? Oh, thank you for that nice compliment. Um, so I, I, one of the things that you and I had done in our past is we did a design sprint together when we both worked in healthcare. And part of that design sprint, we focused on women leaders in the healthcare sector. And for those people who haven't done a design sprint or don't know what design thinking is, it, it really tries to define the problem through use of empathy. And you go out and you have a variety of conversations with customers, um, even people who maybe aren't your customers that are um, in your area that maybe are comparative or they go to a competitor or maybe they were a past customer. But you go out and you just listen to their stories and you try to capture their belief systems and their viewpoints of the world. And you bring those things back and you look for the overlap in those points of view and specific behaviors that are occurring and you create personas around those things. So design thinking, it, it's a lot of fun because of that, because you take all these different types of people, you find out maybe how they're similar and you create a persona that allows the 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 operators or the organization who's sponsoring the event to better understand who they're serving, not just from what those people do, but what those people believe in. And to me, like that was a gateway drug. Like I became addicted to design thinking because of those personas. And in that same light, I think you can personify organizations and organizational cultures in the same way you personify groups of customers or how they act and behave or think. So for the Enneagram, I thought that was a great kind of ruler that one can use to personify an organization's culture. And yeah, you know, at an individual level, 
it's a great tool at a team level. It's a great tool. But, but sometimes an organization has such strong cultural tones that it may mute some of the individual tones or belief systems as individuals continue to try to fit in. And um, I think it would be just a great tool if an organization stepped back and assessed their culture using the Enneagram to see, you know, what are our cultural beliefs, our cultural values? How do we show up as an organization? What are our strengths? What are our opportunities for improvement? And to use this tool in order to practice better self-awareness as an organization that you know, is responsible to their employees and responsible to their customers, responsible to the market they operate in, you know, how much better could they become if they had this self-awareness? Sure. Yeah. And I think the cool thing that we talked about earlier was the growth and stress stress arrows. So so if this is what our culture looks like, what do we look like in stress? And there are a lot of organizations that are really struggling with that right now. And how mm-hmm. does that kind of change the culture when there's a you know level of stress? And then also, what do you look like in growth? So when you've been really thriving in business, you know what's what's going on there? Why and what does it take to continue to be in that that growth area? Um, I, I think that's just I I love it. I've to my knowledge, there is no one that is doing that. So I love the idea of equating the culture to the enneagram. Yeah, I think it'd be a a lot of fun because you can take that and you can bring in um, core competencies of an organization that you know are important to their success now, but may become important to their success in the future. So things about innovation, uh, diversity and inclusion, a lot of different topics can be brought into this that they then now have a way to um, equate how they think and believe now and realize that that's a good thing. You know, maybe we are in a healthy spot here or you bring those things to the table and they're like, Oh, we're super, our Enneagram type has a culture is, you know, um, uh, which one would be probably most risk adverse. Um, so the three does not like failure. So threes would, would avoid failure at all costs. Okay. So yes, you have your achiever (laughs) there. And so they, they like to put their chips on the table on the things that are sure bets. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe an organization types a three and you're helping, they're in a space where they need to be accepting of rapid change. They need to try an idea, implement it, learn from it, adapt and try another idea. If a culture types as a three, they're really going to struggle there. They're not adaptive enough. They're not innovative enough to thrive in that type of space. So I think that would be an interesting way to start to use the Enneagram is to and I know it's not the way the tool's intended, but I think in some ways you can stretch it a little bit because its ultimate goal is to help people practice self-awareness and grow and mature. And organizations, we we need them to be stretching themselves and growing and maturing uh, all the time because if they if they fall behind, it's hard to catch up. So we need them to always be assessing themselves and asking themselves how do they continually get better because if they stop that for one moment one instance the rate of change is so fast now nowadays that 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 one misstep could cause them to fall further and further behind and it's they may never catch back up at that point so we need them to be thought leaders right now yeah no i think 
those, that's a really unique way to think about the Enneagram and how to use it. And I love it. I think it certainly could be part of that journey. So, you know, as, as you work individually uh, to grow through the Enneagram, when I worked with teams growing them through the Enneagram, they're kind of hungry for more after that. Mm-hmm. And so once you get to like Enneagram 501 class, you know, maybe that could be something you could talk about, you know, is is how, how the Enneagram um, or what the culture is based on the Enneagram in the organization. So because ultimately, it's humans that are leading it. It's the human personality that's really, really yes. leading the organization. So it's not really a thing. It's sort of a moving, uh, developing, you know, uh, almost like a person or persona would be the better word. So. Yes. Yeah, it is definitely a collection. It's the melting pot effect of everyone's belief systems, but mostly it's the um, individuals of the organization that you know have the most influence oftentimes that yes. drive it. So it's their individual Enneagrams that are likely the larger percent of what the cultural Enneagram might be, such as having that opportunity to assess that could be a way that certain individuals can grow them as people to say, Oh my goodness, like I didn't realize I was showing up in that way. And because I did that, I created this stigma or I created this expectation that everyone else should show up in that same way. So you got to have that mindfulness when you're a leader and you're in a position of influence, your, your behaviors, your actions, they imprint on people in your organization. And the more and more you do that without having awareness of what you're actually doing, you you can do some things that are detrimental. So, so it's just being mindful and aware of how you show up and the role you play in your organization. You, If you have good understanding of that, you, you can help organizations grow and become great places. Um, but you can also, if you're ignorant of it, you can... Uh, take it all downhill too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I keep saying that, you know, I think we're in a human revolution. We've had all these other revolutions, the industrial, the technology. I think we're in a human revolution and we need exactly what you described in leaders like you and our businesses for them to continue to thrive. So I appreciate you joining and that insightful thought around Enneagram. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? You are a very gifted facilitator. I had the pleasure of being in a lot of your improvement events in that design thinking sprint, which was really a a huge learning curve for I think even our organization. But you did that so beautifully. How -hmm. can people find you if they want you to facilitate a team? Where where do you live? Not not physically where you live, but you know what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So you can find me um, by going online and going to www.thegreen.group.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there. The Green Dot Group is on there. We're on Facebook. And a lot of these platforms are new um, avenues for us. And we're excited to be creating conversations and um, spawning this way of thinking. So I, uh, in the organization... They have this word of you know improvements of team sport, so that's one of the things that we focus on, and that we need to start an improve evolution, and that's you know taking the people and their ideas and allowing them to act on them in ways that will allow them to feel like the work that they're doing is more successful and more productive, more impactful, and that if we can start an improve evolution and those people can 
really gain traction and overcome processes that maybe aren't designed to give the results that we need them to be giving. If they can overcome those things, I think those people are one going to enjoy their work more. They're going to give better results to that organization, better results to those customers. But at the end of the day, they're going to go home and they're going to have a renewed sense of energy that, hey, today at work, things were good and I, I made progress and I won and I'm successful. And that's completely opposite of, I went to work today and my processes just wiped the floor with me. They beat me up. I was very frustrated. And as a result of that, when I leave today, like I'm just burnt out. And when you go home, if you're burnt out, you don't have the energy to do what you got to do at your dinner table or in your community. So I think if we can you know, embark on this improved evolution and give people meaningful work, they'll have the energy that they need to go do the other work at their dinner tables and in their communities. And this thing can become quite, quite monumentous that, you know, as a society, yeah, organizations are needing to transform, but so are families and so are communities and they need leaders in that capacity too. So for me, that's the journey that I'm on through the Green Dot Group is to try to get that flywheel going. Yes, I couldn't have said that better myself. So people over process all day long. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a great way to say. It. I, you know, that should have just been my slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining, Tom. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation, Rachel. Hey, hey! Thanks for joining me as we spend some time jamming on the gram. Don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn and also on Instagram at Indie Enneagram. When it comes to personal growth, there are seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. <laughs>